Alright, after our quick break, we are back. Again, it's uh sun is going down, so it's I'm not sweating as much, but the skeeters are out. Yes, no doubt. They must get the they want the wing sauce for my blood. Let me tell you, the uh, skeeters here at the RA Center aren't half as bad as if you were camping or at a cottage, which I don't do either of. No, for that particular reason. Yes. Not a big fan of skeeters, but um, what I am a big fan of is this next segment. Uh, we're going to finish off our podcast today with uh, just getting to know Brock a little bit better. And, you know, Brock and I have done some fun sort of two-minute drill, uh, f- rapid-fire questions to e- either each other or to somebody else. I think we did one with Curtis the one time. But yep. um, I think I just I have some questions about Brock. I uh, just want to get to know a little bit more about him, and I want the listeners to sort of know a bit more about who we are and sort of who Brock is and where he comes from and, uh, you know, his, his sporting background. And I've got a handful of questions, actually a, f- a few more than a handful of questions that I want to ask Brock. And um, he's going to respond uh, the way he wants to respond. And it'll be an interesting way to get to know your po- one half of this podcast. So, uh, Brock, I, I just want to start off with a very basic uh, couple of questions. Uh, when you were younger, who was your biggest influence growing up? My biggest influence, uh, probably my dad. Yeah. Um, I was hoping you'd answer that, just saying. Um, I mean, my memory is not gr- the greatest. If you ask me to, re- to, uh, to remember somebody's name or whatever, I'm not going to remember that. Uh, but I do remember key things, and I... You know, as far back as I can remember, my my love for football is stemmed from my father's love of football. So we had season tickets back with the Rough Riders way back as far as I can remember, 86, you know, so I'm eight years old. Um, we had the same seats every single year. Um, it was south side, north side sucks. Um, you know, we had the same people that had season tickets around us. There's a couple brothers that were uh, two rows in front of us, and they were the guys. Every time it was a first down, they would always get up, and they would always start the chant, move those yardsticks, move those yardsticks, <laughs> and the whole section would get going. And I still, uh, every once in a while, well, every once in a while, I don't even know where these guys are, but I've seen them, like, in passing, and uh, I'm always like, fuck, I'm like, that's the guy. That's the move you, those yardsticks guy. Like, there's those things I remember, you know, even in the government now, I run into people who are like, "Oh yeah, do you remember me? I was season ticket holder next to you and your, your, your dad back in the day." And um, you know, I, I just that was a very fond memory, not for the actual teams in the field because they were never very good, um, but it was always a, a family outing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, your pops, I uh, man, I've known your pops for twenty years, and. Uh we were just as recently together, you, me, Curtis, and your pops on Canada Day, and uh, like I just, man, I just have love having a having a wobbly pop with him, and just you know shooting the shit, and he's just so wise, but peaceful and calm, and a real, it's a real nice man, and uh, yeah, I, I I was hoping you'd say that it would be your pops as your biggest influence, and we for <laughs> those of uh, you who are still listening. Uh, Brock, Brock did not, we didn't, we didn't go over this. Like this, these are questions I'm sort of shooting at him and he hasn't read yet. So he had no time to think about it. So 
That's a good answer, Brock. Thank you very much. Making me look good. <laughs> um, when did you start playing football? Eight years old. Eight years old. I was eight. Um, I remember, again, my dad taking me out to the Bel Air Copeland Lions. He had done some research to find out where I could play. Um, you know, we grew up in Elmer, but there's no football team there. They didn't have the Gatineau Vikings team that's there now that uh, was available for most of the Quebec kids in the Uruguay region. Yeah. Um, so we kind of had our our pick as to where we wanted to go because we weren't in, inside anybody's jurisdiction in terms of uh, boundaries. Uh, so we went to the Bel Air Copeland Lions. It was right across the bridge. It was, uh, you know, we used to practice. Uh, my in-laws don't live too far from there. Uh, it was in behind a Max Milk off of Maravel Road. It was like a little shitty park. It wasn't even a football field. Um, and, uh, you know, we... We made do. It was uh, it was awesome. My dad helped, not coach, but he helped with everything else. Um, you know, I, I still have a video somewhere. The very first year I played, we we went to the B Cup champions of the city, and my dad, I think at the time, might have owned the video store, uh, the video portage, the portage, and um, he had one of those old camcorders. You know, the ones that go like with the VHS oh, yeah. on your shoulder there. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, He's going through. He's getting everybody to line up, and everybody's introducing themselves, what position they play, and even the coaches. And we saw that film somewhere. Uh, but um, you know, it's the three feet of snow at that point because it's the championship game. Of course. And, um, yeah, that was my first uh, first year. I think I had a broken wrist. What position did you play? Uh, center. Center. Okay, so you were on the O line even at that age. Yeah, I've always been on the bigger side. So this, in, when I played, it was mosquito. So it was. The age group was 8 to 12, so I was an 8-year-old playing center, snapping to my quarterback, who was 12, Scott Boxall, who is actually the president of the Myers Riders organization right now. Um, we played together later on in our lives, too, where that I was a receiver. Familiar. I think he's come up on Facebook. or uh, More than likely, yeah. yeah. The Boxalls are uh, uh, a very big name in the football community, especially with Myers. Uh, they own uh, uh, Boxall Heating and Cooling and stuff, too. So um, Scott and... Uh, um, his father were, were very heavily involved, and Adam, uh, Scott's brother, was more Curse's age. So anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a football family for sure. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, center. Okay. I ended up playing with uh, one of the receivers on my first ever team was Aaron McParland, who, again, I played with later on in life as well, but uh, ended up being, uh, well, my wife's cousin. So when we started dating, I saw Aaron in the bar, and Ange was with me, and uh, we had gone over, and he was like, what's up? You know, I hadn't seen him forever. And then he saw Ange and was like, what's up? And hey, cuz. Yeah, I said, <laughs> how do you guys know each other? She's like, oh, he's my cousin. I'm like, come on. That's like, small world, small I've city, known this man. guy since I was eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's amazing. Uh, what else is amazing is Brock's hands. I, uh, you know, I played uh, a year and a half, I think, at Stage or a year. We played together on the same basketball team at uh, in college. Yeah, two seasons. Anyway. And uh, Brock's hands for... And they, they say, you know, for a for a big man, quote unquote. Well, I don't know. You know, some of the some of the, the guys I know who have the best hands are, are big men. Um, but your hands are so smooth, man. You could have been a tight end. Um, you got a great arm, you could have been a quarterback. So like when it comes to football, you know, sure you're a big guy. You were an all Canadian uh, offensive lineman, but you have great hands, buddy. I tell you I gotta tell you. Oh, I appreciate it. I remember hey, there was one coach I went to uh 
the quarterback receiver camp with uh, Jesse Palmer and Aaron McParland at the time we were down there. We spent three or four days at uh, Wolfer Laurier with Rick Schmitz at his quarterback receiver camp. And uh, by the time it was over, I, to the life of me, I can't remember the coach's name, but uh, he's the one that uh, gave me the Big Daddy nickname. And he was like, he looked me right in the eye and said, Big Daddy? He's like, don't ever let anybody put you offensive line. I said, you got it, coach. Fuck, next year I was O-line. Oh, <laughs> Actually, I had made the all-star team as a receiver with Myers, and it was Jesse Palmer's father who was in there, and he was like, he was coaching the all-star team, and he's like, you're not going to make it as a receiver. So in the all-star game, I make it as a receiver. He puts me left tackle in the all-star game. Dominate the guy across from me reluctantly the whole time. I was just like, this yeah. sucks. Like, you're, you're playing out of anger, <laughs> so you're all-star anger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that oh, was you know, it. Your hands, are, your hands are, to this day even, still. Um, w- when did you know you were, uh, thought to yourself, like, yeah, I think I got a shot at this football thing. <clears throat> like you said you started playing at eight, right? Started playing at eight. Um, you know, that's one thing that I could say with, my father was it was never uh like it is nowadays where it's really looking into the future you know it wasn't this guy's gonna play pro it wasn't anything it was play football enjoy it and that's that um what it really kind of came into play was uh you know i played midget football because back when i was playing it was all weight limits so I, uh, but I didn't even finish Mosquito because I got too heavy. I grew outgrew Peewee and Bantam, I think, in one year. Um, and then I ended up playing uh, receiver for the midget team because the guy who was coaching my brother, O-line, saw me outside a curse's practice just throwing the ball with somebody. And he was like, fuck, you got really good hands. You ever think you want to come as a receiver? And I looked at him, I was like, you're an idiot. Like... <laughs> He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm coaching the receivers next year, Myers. Why don't you come try out? It's okay. And I'm 15, where that midget's 17 to 19 year olds. Um, so I went, made the team, and I was playing. You know, back then the midget league here was amazing. I my team had uh, Scott Boxel was my first quarterback. I had Pat Woodcock running the ball. Um, CFL alum. Yeah, and we had Jesse Palmer uh, as a quarterback. Uh, Burke Dales was our linebacker, was a sick linebacker, ended up being a punter because he blew both his shoulders out for a long time, but he played for the Stampeders forever. Um, That kid lit me up. One fucking practice. So this guy's from Brockville. So there's about a handful of them that came from Brockville every night for practice. And uh, I forget, this is like a Thursday night practice. It's not even, you know, we're getting ready for a game. It's kind of whatever. You're... Myers is notorious for not having enough guys to practice because we're so good we're just beating people anyway that guys wouldn't show up. So you kind of, whatever, half-ass things. Anyway, there's some block. It's an outside zone play. So I'm, you know, pulling, getting around my guy. I go up. I go to get Burke. And I'm just kind of half-assing it. And Burke, two-foot jump, puts his helmet in my chest, folds me over. Like, folds me over. I'm 280 pounds or something like that. Folds me over. Now, I'm not expecting it, but I'm folded over, embarrassed. I get. I said, Burke, what the fuck are you doing? And he goes, oh, sorry, bro. He's like, I just started thinking that if I want to play at the next level, I got to play against guys who do all the time. So he's like, I picked it up. I'm like, cool. Give me the heads up next yeah. time. <laughs> After that, it was, it was good, and we had some real good, like, uh, intense practices between the two of us. Sure. 
But I'll never forget that. And, and he, we ended up being, uh, well, not roommates, but we were with the Owls at the same time. And a couple of times over PlayStation, I brought that story up, and he would start laughing. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, he's like, just, anyway, it was, uh, we had some really good teams playing against uh, Cameron Legault and Mark oh Pilo and uh, BC Lion alum. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Kane, who's one of the, you know, ended up being with the Panthers for a while, Wake yeah. Forest. Um, you know what I mean? Like, these were all these guys that were playing in this league at the same time. And, uh, it's a lot of talent, folks. You know, they're a few years older than me, so at 15, I was pretty intimidated for a sure. lot of it. Or, but uh, but it was good. It was awesome. And uh, think about you know, back then, just we just didn't have what we have now in terms of the facilities and the and the money and the funding and the field time and the quality of field. I think we've come a long way in the, in sports. So there's um, a lot more saturation in the Ottawa market right now, which is the cause for each league not quite being as intense as I feel like, and whatever. Every old guy says that. Like, in, back in my day, it was so much better. I really feel, back in my day, the midget league in Ottawa was the best league around. And we played a team in Mississauga, and, uh, you know, they were a very good team when we went to Mississauga, but when they came here, they weren't, and that apparently was due to about 14 guys being on probation and couldn't leave the area. Well, do you think, Brock, that... The um, the focus on player safety and ki- child safety, you know, has created a, a football environment that, you know, maybe the, maybe that the aggression that you saw at at the age of fifteen or sixteen just what isn't uh, isn't there now at with fifteen and sixteen year olds or are we still seeing coaches yell at the, you know knock his knock his socks off or knock the snots out of him? Is it, does that culture still exist in, in youth football still? Uh, well, if you watch uh, Friday Night Tykes on Netflix, then you'll know that, yes, it does. It does. Now, that's American. Um, well, would that be the cause of perhaps an oversaturation in the market in terms of kids playing football and maybe the talent pool being maybe a little bit more watered down because guys aren't playing as aggressive? They're being coached to hit a certain way and to – you know, player safety is at a paramount. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying maybe they're just fa- I'm just maybe stating facts. Um, could that affect football now versus football then? Well, speaking from a coach's perspective now, um, I really think that the saturation plays a big role in it um, because kids don't – you can't – and whatever. I'm one to say, oh, yeah, when it was a game, it was a different story than practice. That's fine. But in reality, like, you're not getting better if your practices aren't challenging you. And you can't be challenged if you have shitty players that are playing against you. If you don't have Absolutely. somebody on the other side to challenge you or somebody to challenge taking your spot even, you can't really get better, and that's where the saturation comes into play because the guys who are stars or the guys who are the the top players on those teams can go through practice half-ass and just kind of wait for the game, and then you're playing against another team that's fairly saturated as well. So they get these, you know, these fake notions of their abilities, and, uh, you know, from coaching football north, it's a prep school. You know, we had our numbers were not – the greatest we don't have internal competition in terms of practice so what happens we go down to the states because we play american teams american high schools who have numbers who have systems who have competition who have um 
the intensity, and we get destroyed. And kids wonder why. Well, it's not all system. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, you just don't have what it takes to compete at that level. And it's not the kid's fault as much as it is we just need to have more numbers. I need to be able to say, you didn't show up for practice, you're not putting the time in, you're not playing, next guy up. But when you don't have that, there's no accountability for the players, and then there's just no no development, no improvement. That is that is such an excellent point. And, it, you know, it really – you could translate that to virtually any sport. I know certainly basketball, you know, um, if, if you're practicing against nobody – and you're, you're you're severely unprepared for your next match or your next game or your so that's a, that's such a great point, Brock. Um, wow. Where did your post high school football career start? My post high school football career. When you graduated from Sejep, I guess. Where did you go next? Okay, well Sejep. So after Philemon, um, I was still with the Midget Myers for a little bit. So when I was 16, 17, I finished off with them while I was at Heritage. So, um, uh, yeah, I went through the recruiting process when I was at Heritage. Um, you know, it was uh, it was actually Jesse Palmer's father who, who kind of said, why don't you come to one of these combines with us? We're going out to Toronto or whatever it was. And uh, I said, I don't even know what the fuck that is. And my dad's like, let's just go see what happens. Uh, so I went. Did all those tests, did some one-on-ones, whatever it was. A bunch of coaches there, and it was uh, um, Ron Dias was the guy who ran these, uh, almost the only guy that ran these combines back in the day, and he would rate. So basically kind of how Canada Football Chat is now and stuff too, they rate all these players, rank them. And I uh, went to the combine, and then uh, I was rated number two offensive lineman in Canada based by this guy's uh, rankings. And, uh, you know, there's no Twitter, no Instagram, uh, no email at that point either. Legit, so, 1995, 96. Yeah. So it uh, it was just uh, letters, and I've kept them all. They're all filed away um, by university name and whatever. And uh, when all said and done, it was, uh, you know, about 47 schools um, that were – Recruited me, offered me to go down and play, and uh, I literally loved the attention. I loved getting stuff in the mail. I loved all that stuff, um, which what kid doesn't? And it was uh, Michigan where I was gonna go and play. That was uh, it was a handwritten note from the coach at the time, and a handwritten note had a lot more weight in my book. It actually sure. took time to, to write it out as opposed to this was back when, you know, everything was typed. You know, it was signed nice and they had all this information in it. But for some reason that just, I don't know, reminded me of my grandmother. My grandmother always put an emphasis on handwritten letters and handwritten notes and thank you cards and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I got the handwritten one, it was, I was like, all right, these guys are, took the lead. And uh, so verbally committed to them. And then uh, a few months later, Completely broke down on my parents' couch. Nervous? Uh, nervous. Uh, scared. You know, like just, it, it would. everything came on so fast. It was probably a six-month window from that first combine to when I needed to make a decision. And uh, New country. Yeah. New, 
new life. You've got to feed yourself. Got to put clothes on your own back. Yeah, all that stuff being in Michigan is eight hours away. Eight hours away, um, which is might as well be another country basically at our age, at that age. Well, it is, <laughs> but you know, technically, it, but yeah, <laughs> across the world across is what I meant. World. It's okay. late. It's late. Um, yeah, but uh, so kind of broke down and. Uh, for me, I, I always grew up watching college football as well. So as much as the Rough Riders and stuff were kind of where I got that first taste, there was a Florida Gator football game on TV, and they showed the camera from the field level, and it was this. The atmosphere there was second to none from what I'd ever seen before because I've been part of the Rough Riders thing, but there's only 20,000 people. This was – we're talking upwards close to 100, and uh, – you know, that's what really gave that bug. So I started watching college football more and more. And as a kid, you see these guys on TV, and they're all monsters. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are, might as well be pro players because they're a year out anyway. And uh, But you never you never put yourself in context with them. I never had that, uh, that chance to put myself into a context with the American players and see myself saying, you know what, I can compete with these guys. I'm bigger and stronger now. Yeah. I can, you know, I've grown up to where these guys are. So for me, it was a huge mental thing. And, um, you know, so I, I decommitted, and uh, I had taken a visit to Colgate with uh, another teammate of mine who was only getting a, an offer or two, and Colgate was one of the ones that they said come down for a visit. So I just went down with former the ride. It was four hours away. Most beautiful campus I had seen. Um, it was a great time of year when I was down there, too, so everything was just beautiful. And... Uh, you know, coming from Elmer and from a smaller high school, it had that nice feel of sure. being kind of all together. And there's only 3,000 kids there, so it wasn't overwhelming. Sure. And, um, yeah, so I uh, ended up choosing that university to uh, the dismay of Ron Dias and whatnot, too. I told him I was decommitting from Michigan, was not happy. Uh, I told him I was committing to Colgate. He was not happy, mm. <laughs> um, basically saying, like, oh, fine, you don't want to go to Michigan, that's fine. You have, you could play midget for another year uh, because I was still pretty young. I was 17. Yeah. And he's like, and Miami has just, you know, I just got the phone with them yesterday. They're looking for a tackle. They're interested in you. So if you play one more year, you can go to Miami. And, like, these are big programs. Michigan, fuck, I would have won the Rose Bowl that first year. So I got a ring with Colgate in 97. But – I would have had the Rose Bowl National Championship ring with Michigan, where Charles Woodson has that Rose. Yeah, in his yeah, thing. yeah. That, yeah. that would have been that my their, first year. Wow. Who was their quarterback at the time? Uh, just that before was, Brady, uh, right? Just before Brady. Yeah. Because uh, I had met Brady. Chad Henney? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, ended up being the Yankees later on. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I'm 95% sure that uh, I met a lot of guys, and I'm pretty sure I met Brady on my recruiting visit. Uh, but wow. anyway, it would have been, you know, blocking for him at one point. And you go to Michigan, you sort of get forced into, you know, big-time football. Um, and I think maybe that would have been a better situation for me. Long road. but uh, Ann Arbor. <laughs> like you said, 100,000 people, right? Yeah. It's no joke for a young kid who's uh, from a small town and a – you know, Philip and Wright was a little bit bigger than Darcy, but it wasn't that much bigger. So you, no. you know, not used to having a hundred thousand people. You're used to you barely got you guys barely got ten people to watch your Philip and Wright Falcons. So like, I I get it, you know. And uh, wow, I mean that to anyone who's listening, and uh, you know, any kids in the region who are uh, being recruited, that's these are things you got to think about. And uh, 
you know, it, it's guy. It's stories like Brock's story that that put a face to the to the real life issues of being going from Canada to the states when you get recruited. Like that's a real deal. Like those are real issues, real stresses, real fears. We're kids. Yeah, you know. I think a lot of kids nowadays, though, and that's where you know that's why I do the CFI stuff, uh, the Canadian Football Institute, where we train kids. A lot of it's to is to give back. So my generation, so myself, Pat Woodcock, Donnie Ruiz, uh, Darren Joseph, Steve Glenn, like we all come together and, and we're, you know, not far off of generations. I'll give uh, some of those older guys the same window as us. But, um, you know, our, the kids that come through who really have that next level ability are getting opportunities that we never got and they're getting taught better than we ever were because – our guys are turning around and giving back into the community now and giving back to football players, which is the, the life cycle. That's how Ottawa football gets better. And I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of that with, uh, I mean, shoot, we got Eli Ankus in the NFL. Yeah. Jesse Lucchetta is down at Penn State who's going to tear it up. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, – Michael O'Connor came through the whole thing at Penn State, ended up at UBC, now he's with uh, Toronto. I don't know if he's on the practice roster or what they're now as a Canadian quarterback. Um, anyway, the doors are open, you know, uh, Jesse Palmer, he opened a lot of doors. Pat Woodcock opened a lot of doors, um, you know, and those doors are only open from guys that went before us. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy with the, the, um, uh, the players growth in Ottawa and the opportunities that, the, that have been given to them. You make so. a good point, Brock, about, uh, giving back, uh, and it, you know, certainly, I know a couple of people. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to put anybody, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there are a couple of CFL alumni who've been retired from the CL for CFL for over 15 years who are just now getting involved in youth football. And I think part of it is, you know, when you retire, you still have a player mentality. You think you can still play. You're not ready to give back to the community because you, you still think you're, you've got a player's mentality. So these guys, are, they're a generation older than us, are just now getting involved in youth football. And I'm sure when they were players, there weren't anybody helping them out. You know, these old guys retire, and they still have a, a player's mentality. But guys like you who understand my, my career is, is what it is or is, was what it was, I'm ready to give back. I'm in the right frame of mind to do it because you have to be. You, you know, do, there's a transition period. For sure. I've only recently started watching the CFL again, you know, because it was always something that uh, that stung with me because of decisions I made or didn't make or things that I thought or that I didn't know that I wish I had known. Of course. Uh, that would have changed, you know, the my playing career. Um, you know, when I left Colgate, I had a concussion my last year there. Um my Colgate experience on the football field wasn't the greatest. I did not have a great relationship with my position coach. And so that's something I emphasize with my kids is, you know, yeah, sure, there's a head coach or whatever, but you got to have a good relationship with the position coach. You know, I was going through some stuff, you know, on a personal level uh, from the family front back home when I was down there. And uh, I don't even know if he knew or if he even gave a shit. You know what I mean? So for me – I've always been one of those guys that I I will ball out for a guy who gives a shit or feels like he gives a shit to me. Um, 
And if he doesn't, then I really lose motivation as to what I'm doing. I just didn't have that. Um, so, but the transition when you're done, like athletes, it's hard for an athlete to actually accept retiring and being out of the game. A lot of times those guys might have not actually retired, just never got signed up, and then all of a sudden two, three years go by and you realize it's over. So, and then from there, you put so much time and blood, sweat, and tears into that career that you kind of focus on yourself a bit and you say, well, what am I doing for the rest of my life? You know, so there's that transition period of saying, you know, finding out who you are without football. And then once you kind of get that, then it opens the door and then you're, you know, to say, am I interested in giving back and do I have something to give back? Do I want to, you know, so there is, it's not, it's not easy. So for the guys that are, that are out of the league and that you're, you know, saying that you've been out for a while, you know, maybe they had their families and they just got busier and they say, okay, now I have that established. Now my kids are older, they're playing or they're playing other sports or they're, they're gone to university and now I have a bit more time, I can now give back. But it's, uh, you know, the, the, it's, real, it's a real issue when you go from an athlete at those levels to not. I'll tell you what, Brock, um, one of the best quotes I ever heard was, well, from a former former athlete, John Lucas, who played for the Houston Rockets and uh, you know did the uh, did the rounds in the NBA, um, was an alcoholic, was a drug abuser, changed his life around. You know they interviewed him and he, he said it best. He says, you know, athletes suffer two deaths in their lifetime: right. their physical being and their and their professional career, because you go from admiration. Um, in, in some instances, a lot of money uh, to what the hell am I going to do the rest of my life? That's all I've known. I've, all I've ever had was handlers, coaches, you know, and basketball is a little bit different. Football, you know, in basketball, hockey and, and in baseball, for the most part, you don't you have your manager or your head coach is the, is the main voice. But in football, you know, I look at I look no further than the 93 or 94 Houston Oilers. Their locker room was divided. They basically they basically had two coaches, Buddy Ryan and Jack Pardee, mm-hmm. you know, and they fought in the locker room. So you know you you get close with your position coaches in football way more than you do in any other sport. So you know you make you, you make some excellent points. And I mean I don't want to turn this I don't want to talk about any of my stories quite yet. But you know when I graduated college, I was cut from a, a couple of basketball teams and uh, I was bitter. Because especially one team, I thought I, I not only should I have made the team, but I would have been mm-hmm. a, a pretty decent university basketball player. And I couldn't coach for years after. I tried it right after, yeah. and, I, and I found myself very angry. I was yelling at players when I shouldn't have. I didn't handle them properly. I didn't have an assistant. Um, so I, it was, I was sort of left to my own devices. And um, it was it wasn't good. It was a very unhealthy, actually. So you know, I, I didn't transition well. And I'm I'm just I was just an amateur athlete. I couldn't imagine yeah. what it's like to be to be pro. So you know, you make some excellent points. I really really hope that that people are listening to this, and if they're in the same position, listen to what's going on. Whether you're a current university athlete or whether you're somebody who's just transitioning into coaching, you know. Take what Brock's saying. Give back to the community, but you know you got to do it when you're ready. And if that means maybe, maybe getting some counseling or some coaching, you know, 
Yeah, it's as a uh, coach, get coach, get coached to be a good coach, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, there's now there's uh, coaching clinics, certifications and stuff you got to do, and I think they covered a lot of that stuff. Uh, I do know that they uh, uh, you get uh, free passes for depending on how far you've you've kind of gone on to play, but it's uh, yeah, for an athlete, you know, one of the biggest things too is your athletes that go far have generally been quote unquote somebody for a long time so you're always like i was always brock you know, a football player i play for these guys or I play whatever once that's over you don't have that i'm brock i play for this team you're just brock and then especially as time goes on too you know initially it actually could be worse because it was you know brock oh he used to play this and you know he could have been so much more um and then after that, you're just you're just Brock, <clears throat> and you're trying to figure out who that is. But it's uh, it's a it's it's a it's hard to describe. Um, but it's something that you know a- every athlete should be prepared for it. Like unless you're you know Brett Favre or one of uh, Tom Brady, those kind of guys that are yeah. always be Tom Brady, and that's just it. You're Tom Brady. But other guys, especially. You know, not the quarterbacks and the star receivers. You know, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough transition. Well, let me tell you, Brock. I know one thing for sure: the perspective that you had of yourself is very different from what your friends had. Like, all of us were super proud to not only know that you were so close to being a professional football player, but your your successful career. Uh, in Canadian University, being an all-Canadian, mm-hmm. I believe, at University of Ottawa. That's right. I mean, we we were always so proud. And I, and I talked about you, I was, because I knew you on a personal level, so I didn't have to, like, say, yeah, Brock the football player. I don't know, yeah, Brock the guy I, I have a couple beers with on the weekend. So, yeah. you know, the, my perspective was always Brock the man first before Brock the football player, always. And the football was the gravy. Like, we're just proud to know that you, you were successful in doing what you love, but... You know, your friends and family cared about you, the man, more than you, the football player. So, but you don't see that at the time. I mean, no. at the time, you're thinking, what's the perspective? I, you know, there was, we were at your Montreal Alouettes party at the Lone Star. I remember how proud I was of you, but yeah. I was happy for you because you looked so happy. I, you know, you were going to play for Montreal. It was going to be kind of cool. I think the novelty would have worn off as, a, as a, a friend of yours pretty quick. But it was a cool thing. But we were just so darn proud that you were friggin' happy. Like you looked like you were ecstatic. So, you know, I also it, looked like I was fucking four hundred pounds. I don't. I don't recall, man. I got a video somewhere. You've slimmed down quite a bit. You've done a good job of transitioning yourself into the next phase of your life. You know, I'm back up. I got to get back down. But I mean, from where my my top there, like I look at myself. You talk about being happy. Yeah, I was happy. And I knew I was happy because my fat cheeks were blocking my eyesight. <laughs> I was smiling. My hat was super tight. Anyway, whatever. But you know that weight work. But that was to your benefit at the time for football. And uh, it was something. Um, I think you just done a great job of of reinventing yourself. And uh, you are an excellent coach. You and Scott Endicott run the CFI Canadian Football Institute. You've got some quality people working alongside you oh, yeah. in collaboration. I mean, Darren Joseph might be one of the nicest guys. Um, you've got good people, right? So it's uh, we're all like minded, which is yes. the biggest thing. So, you know, we talk about saturation in the Ottawa market. That was the biggest thing that kind of came up when we were going through this is that, 
you know, the guys at EPA, Elite Performance Academy, Pat Woodcock and Donnie Ruiz. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up with Pat, played with them, and uh, they got their own thing. We were doing ours with CFI. You know, Darren was working under some other group, and Steve was getting tired of the the way things were run in Ottawa and said, I'm, I'm done coaching. And, uh, you know, we got together with these guys, and we said, look, this is what we see happening. This is how we do it. This is how... You know, it's very much on the athlete first. We don't hold an athlete back for finances. Um, you know, we just want good quality kids to come through here, get the opportunities that they need, and help them as best as we can. And they've all jumped on board. We're all, again, of the same mindset. And we're like, stop fighting with each other and trying to have a kid say, which camp should I go to? Hey, we're all under one roof now. You know, I'm not coaching receivers as much as I think I can, you know. Pat's the professional does that. Donnie does the DBs. Like everybody has their their niche, and uh, you know Carl Tolmy is a is a huge part of that too with his uh, um, experience coaching and uh, with Ottawa U and Dan Massey and Seb Lamarche. Uh, you know we got some really really quality guys there that actually are doing it for the right reasons. And I'll tell you the. Uh you know, I, I actually reached out to Scott to see if he wanted to be a guest today uh, because I, his uh, he runs a flag football league as well with his wife, Leanne, yeah. uh, for kids. And they're doing their finale uh, at the Lansdowne. Well, Lansdowne. Is it, is it TD Lansdowne? Place? TD Place, geez. Uh, that'll be coming up, uh, I believe, on s- Saturday, July 29th, in or around the 29th. Uh, I actually come out and announce the kids' names in a sort of a fun way. Nice. As a, yeah, they open up the speakers for us, and it's a pretty cool pretty cool bit. But, you know, I was going to have Scott come on here and talk a little bit about CFI, what you guys do together, and uh, what he's doing for kids as well is, you know, um, it's so ga- it's so great that both of you guys are giving back to the community. Um, they're, doing a, they're doing a great job with the Ottawa Youth Flag Football League, I believe is what it's called. Yes. Um, you know, he asked me initially to get on board with it. Um, I think it's a great initiative. It's uh, for me. I I'm I like the higher level uh, technique. I like working with guys that are in university or going to university, and you know all the stuff that I know is is recent from a higher level. So I want to share those, and that's kind of where that's where I get my most pleasure from. Um, but uh, Scott and Leanna doing a great job with the flag football, and I think that's that's a huge thing for skill development for kids. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, and actually Scott and I, we've, uh, you know, we talk about CFI and not letting kids finances affect whether or not they can train. So great. But that's come out of our bottom line for a lot of it too. So there's still expenses we have to do and whatnot. Um, so we actually recently registered a, uh, nonprofit entity called football forward. And that's designed to allow us uh, to find funding and, and acquire some fundraising stuff that allows us to help those kids without it affecting without you absorbing another too business. Much of a loss. Yeah, without it coming out of our straight pocket. But more importantly, is it's going to allow us to because of that, it's going to allow us to help more kids That's and maybe bring the cost down to the overall camp, whatever. But there should be more kids that that can get uh, get the training they need, and um, that's not just Ottawa. That'll be something we want to go. You know, nationally at least, but I mean, realistically, as we were talking with our business plan, it could be worldwide. There's right. American football, and some guy from Cameroon approached me on LinkedIn about them starting the American football uh, program, and 
Um, you know, we talk about at-risk or disadvantaged youth here in Ottawa. Well, you know, some of those countries overseas are in level. way worse, worse shape. It's next level. And uh, this could really change change some kids' lives or open some doors. So, um, anyway, that's a fun little thing that we're, we're getting into and learning because I have no idea. And we have some real good people with uh, Karen Nasrella uh, who's, who's there and getting us uh, – in contact with some other guys that uh, that know what they're talking about. So uh, wow. it's a fun project. Well, you guys should be very, very proud. And I want to shout out uh, Mike Ferreira, his nephew, Christian Wells, plays in uh, Scott's Youth fo- uh, Flag Football nice. League. Uh, my friend Jen McConry, her son Trey, is uh, also in that league. He's a darn near all-star. I think uh, he's going to be a, an incredible uh, high school university athlete, whatever he decides to do. Right now, he's a high-level basketball player. So, Trey, if you're listening, Trey McConry, Jen, I'm going to tag you on a post and uh, make sure that you're listening to this. <laughs> but we're wrapping this up with uh, my man Brock. Uh, you inadvertently answered the last four questions by going into detail <laughs> about the CFL and um, your career and where where it went, where it is now in terms of your coaching, your transition from a player to coach. Uh, your involvement with the sport now. You've, you've answered all those questions. So uh, I want to thank you for being so candid and uh, allowing me to dig a little deeper, buddy. Uh, we love you. Uh, you're like a brother to me. Your family is like family to me. And, uh, you know, you started your family a few years ago. You've got two beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. And I know we didn't talk a lot. There was a couple of years where we didn't talk much just because our lives took us in yeah. directions that just didn't allow us to communicate very often, not as much as we do now, which I'm very grateful for. But, uh, you know, your family's always been like a second family to me. So um, thanks for thanks for uh, giving our audience a little glimpse into uh, Brock Fleming. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I say, it feels like I got a lot uh, when I think about it. And you started to really spark some more memories. So it, uh, there's a lot of things there that, uh, you know, good, bad, ugly, it's all there. You should but be proud uh, of it all, though, bud. You should be proud uh, of it good. all, man. What you're, what you're doing now is just it's just great stuff, buddy. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, we'll definitely have to do another uh, episode of this where I get to flip the table and sure. uh, and uh, pick a little deeper into uh, the Pepmeister. Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> I think well, what we're going to do is we're going to put this episode, like this this segment, as a bonus episode. I think uh, I think we, you know what, we could have dug a lot deeper too, but um, you know, it's good that our audience know us. I think so. So this this is especially a, our listeners in Latvia, and Jersey, and Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey, Jersey. If you're listening, Washington, and anyway, there's a uh, yeah. Sorry, you say are, Latvia? Oh yeah, we got. Uh, I think it said three percent of listeners are in Latvia. Holy what? Yeah, I have no clue. But that's for hey, listen, Don Kashane. I don't know what's Latvia. Don Kashane. I don't know. That's the Jewish. Don Uh I don't know. Anyway, Latvia, represent. <laughs> it's not Latvian anyway. <laughs> it could very well have just been an error. We'll just watch that completely go down. And it's like, I didn't mean to press that play button. That's right. It's actually Los Angeles. but uh, <laughs> All right, my man. Well, let's wrap this bad boy up. Uh, I'll give you the final word. Anything you want to fin- finish off here, pal? No, I think uh, I think that's it. I mean, if anybody has any questions or they want to dive in any deeper with something I was talking about, by all means, reach out to us uh, via Facebook or um on our anchor page, I think you can yeah. leave voicemails and stuff on that. So if you have questions you want us to answer, um, you know we uh, we encourage our listener participation. Um, 
So absolutely, you guys are starting to feel a bit more comfortable with us and can ask these questions. And you know, it uh, you know could be a diff- another topic for another podcast down the road too. So always looking for ideas, always looking for feedback. And uh, so far, the feedback's been great, so we really appreciate that. And, hey, listen, if anybody's, any of, anybody who knows me may not know Brock very well and you have a kid in football and uh, you want to get him or her involved, you know, shoot me a message and I'll connect you guys. Uh, I mean, I think now, you know, it's no secret that Brock's my, my partner in this. So if you want to reach, reach out to him personally and just say, hey, I know Pep, by all means. But uh, if you need a liaison... I could be your I could be your guy, and uh, we'll get your kid involved in football and uh, have some of the best coaching in the city, the country, I would say. So, um, on that note, Brock, we'll wrap up this bonus section. Adios, ciao, friends.